0: Trademarks owned by Becklass AB to C V 2024 Proximo Jersey City,
1: New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app.
3: San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe.
4: A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin.
1: Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish.
4: Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or
1: wherever you get your podcasts. The John Annick and Kenny Florian podcast.
3: Yeah, hey, What's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian.
1: Oh, my God. Here are your hosts, John Annick and Kenny Florian.
0: Oh, is it great to be here? Is it great to be here? It's always great to be here. Hope the start of your week is going well. It is Monday, September 24, 2018, episode 172 of the Annick and Florian podcast. No Ken Flow today, folks. If you're on the video side, you can already see that we have no Kenny Florian today. He had something more important going on. Evidently, I don't know exactly what it is, but you know what? The rest of us are here. Ben Wasore, the crew, Fox Sports, everybody's here ready to go. A lot of people on board today to talk about a lot of different things. We'll recap the UFC Sao Paulo show. UFC commentator Jimmy Smith, back in the States, just called the fights in Brazil. Also going to get his thoughts on some other things, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor, of course. Also, uh, the devastating reality that hit the MMA world last week uh, with the news that MMA legend Norafumi Kid Yamamoto had passed away and will try to sort of pay proper tribute over the course of the show as best we can uh the greatest living american brian stan turns 38 years old today so we'll bring him on wish him a happy birthday get his thoughts ultimately a prediction from him too on khabib Nurmagomedov and conor mcgregor because that is less than two weeks away now uh ray longo coming up as well and uh we'll see which group of people ray longo can offend this week but joining me off the top today uh you've seen his work at mmafighting.com formerly espn.com the ringer Perhaps the most talented sports writer that I have come across in my lifetime, the man in the hat, Chuck Minenhall, filling in for the flow off the top of the show today. Good day to you, sir. How you doing?
3: Good, man. Boy, that's some tough shoes to fill, huh? Filling in for Ken well, Flow.
0: I'm filling in for Ken Flo or being perhaps the most talented sports writer that I've ever come across. You hate to tell talented people that they have a gift, right? Um <laughs> But I got to think at some point in time, you recognize that maybe there was something special about a skill of yours or an ability to sort of put words on paper in a way that maybe average men like me cannot.
3: Oh, man. Oh, I appreciate that, John. Obviously, working with you back in the day at ESPN, uh, that was really where I thought it started because – ESPN gave me a little bit of a platform to to, um, to open up a little bit and not just do standard coverage to be more of a columnist during that time. And uh, right. I really felt like right. it uh, began to flourish during that period.
0: Yeah, I found your voice for sure. I mean, from the time that I could read, I feel like six years old. Maybe I was a late reader, but I, I was reading the Boston Globe and the Herald sports pages cover to cover. And for a, a while, I, I – I thought I wanted to be a sports writer, and I, I did yeah. try to go that route. I think at one point my, my job was a news sports correspondent was my title. I don't know how much news I did, but yeah, I kept, I've kept. i said it before on this show. I kept running into writers on your level, so I grabbed a microphone and, and, and pivoted <laughs> at that point. Um, all right, a lot to get to with you. Not a ton of time to cover it, so I'll get into it. And and let's start, of course, with the biggest fight in UFC history, at least to date. Khabib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor, 12 days away. I know you've covered this fight extensively and you will leading up to showtime uh the presser of course was thursday in new york city your column is out there at MMAfighting.com. i will refer to it as needed but for those that haven't read it just general thoughts on, on what transpired in front of us thursday at least we got something to chew on now
3: yeah i mean uh, it was a first i mean it, it's kind of funny that we went this deep into this fight coming uh, together uh before we saw these guys actually do this so that was Right. The first thing that was just strange was just watching these two guys on the same um, on the same stage there. And it was made all the more surreal, obviously, because it was Radio City Music Hall. And the way that the media was seating was facing out toward um, the actual auditorium. So you're looking at this vacuous area. And it um, it was very, very, it was like a magnificent, it was like being in an empty church. Um, and so it was like, yeah. it was just a very surreal setup. It was a, a crazy first exchange. And it was really interesting to see Conor McGregor have to control and, uh, you know, kind of harness his own energy rather than feeding off of his crowd and, and project that himself and still stir up that kind of, um, you know, that, that kind of uh, presence there. I, I was pretty impressed with it, but it took about 10 minutes for me to, uh, to fully set in and be like, okay, now you're in this thing. He's created his own energy.
0: Right. We could probably spend 15 minutes dissecting every utterance, and and we're not going to do that, but we will spend a few minutes more on it. I guess what's most impressive for me is that Conor McGregor, while well-researched in terms of some points that he wants to bring up in in a thoughtful way uh he really does shoot from the hip and for a guy who's been out of practice in doing this you know he hits that podium and you heard maybe just a little excitability early from connor but he settles in and is just so articulate and so pointed with the way he approaches these things that i don't care how good you are nobody's going to even compete with him never mind beat him in this type of setting
3: no, I agree with you 100%. And it's not just that, too. He knows how to bring comic relief if the tension gets pretty thick, which it does yeah. every time he's in there because of the way he makes it personal. He throws out like an advertisement for the proper 12 or he, you know, he says something completely funny or starts making noises into the mic um, or he just makes some completely digressive thought uh, pop up and it's it's just it's a real controlling of the scene and real controlling of um, attention. And I I mean, nobody in UFC has that kind of ability. Even Chael Sonnen back in the day when he was doing it, I felt I felt like he was the best at the time. But um, this guy's on another level, man. It's fun. It's fun to have what I consider now our Muhammad Ali in terms of the talk, the pre-fight talk.
0: Yeah, I think the comparison's appropriate. You you injected the proper twelve Irish whiskey into the conversation So 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 I'll go back to it. You have a bottle. of that, right? that right?
3: Look at this right here, John. Oh. I, I, you know, beginning. I was
0: hoping it was going to be on the rocks, right? And I knew you had that, so I went to two liquor stores here in the South Florida area today, and I, I got a, all I got to show is a Red Solo Cup. I couldn't <laughs> find it. I probably should have called first, but I think I have to go into the deep south of Florida to get a, a bottle of Proper Twelve. I know you've tested. I've tested it. You at this point, how is it?
3: Um, you know what? I actually have not. Um, I, I've oh. kept it sealed. I've kept it sealed so far, um, but I was tempted this weekend, I just never got around to it, man. But uh I'm gonna be cracking into that bad boy at some point this week, I think. Gotta do so it before. Connor,
0: Oh, you got to do it. Yeah. And, and you can be sure next week when we really preview the hell out of UFC 229, I will have a, a bottle of proper 12 and I will be drinking uh, no matter the hour. Um, you describe Khabib at the press conference in your column as mostly bemused. I think that's about as accurate as you can get um, in Suzy. And I think at times and maybe got agitated a little bit late, but I thought for Khabib just was sort of settling in and letting Connor do his thing and, and didn't seem too phased really one way or the other, at least. For the majority of what we saw
3: transpire. That's the beauty of it, right? Because this is a guy who's on another level of stoicism. Like he just has always been um, very nonplussed in, in high stakes situations. He's handled them. So, I mean, he has conversations in the cage while he's given a beat down, which is uh, one of those type of things that gets yeah. other level poise, you know what I mean? And, and really kind of cold and unnerving when it comes down to it. And um, I thought he handled himself just fine. He did get a little riled toward the end, um, you know, because there was Connor just plucking on every nerve continuously. I felt like he got a little riled up. You heard uh, him raise his voice toward the end. But but honestly, man, I think he anticipates everything that's going to happen through this. And I really don't think he's the kind to um, to bend to that kind of pressure. I don't think that a few words are going to affect him. And I think the point I, po- I tried to point out in that piece was, it is almost like he's just biding his time. You know, he just wants to get through yeah. all the all the pageantry to the point where they close the right. they close the cage door, and then he can enact his will on on Conor McGregor. And I think that that's the way he carried himself through that whole thing.
0: Well, and how you put it, you said more to the idea that he gets to do bodily harm to McGregor in the near future <laughs> was enough to sustain Nurmagomedov and give him a peaceful demeanor, right? Just excited that ultimately he's going to get an opportunity in a controlled setting to to do what he thinks he can do against Conor McGregor now. Pay-per-view naysayers, and some people are projecting north of 2.5 million pay-per-view buys. We can certainly hope for that. But naysayers would say, oh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, you know, doesn't resonate with an American audience, sort of an unknown. Um, not a household name in the States, right? I will give you that. But 5.8 million on the Instagram followers, right? 26 and 0 brings people in. Um, I think given the opponent, given some of the backdrop and things that Habib brings to the table... Uh, Win or lose, I think this just has the opportunity to be massive for him.
3: I, I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, that Dolly incident, too, I think only feeds into it, you know, because the hard, the hardcore fans or the people who love MMA are going to tune in no matter what. They're going to pay whatever price they're going to tune in. And that's going to be the whole, the whole number of the like, – I feel like sometimes we get a little bit of a diminished number because not all the hardcores tune in now for every fight. But I think that all of them across the board will be tuned in. And when you bring that extra element, the two years away, the undefeated record, the the kind of um, destroyer he's been, never losing a round, and you just start to play with that, I think it will get out into the general consciousness a little bit. And I think that um, the casuals or whatever you want to call them, the people don't normally tune in, will be tuned in. I hear about this fight constantly from people who obviously uh, don't follow the sport that closely. So just gauging, it's always a crude gauge, but uh, just gauging off of something like that. I think that that 2.5 million number, I think that that's probably the bar. I think that it's going to be right in that range, just given the early indications on it.
0: Yeah. You know, when my 67 year old mother is talking about the fight, that that we got (laughs) something. MMAfighting.com's Chuck Mindenhall with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So what are your expectations for fight week in terms of Khabib Nurmagomedov and how he'll handle all of that? You know, I'm not going to run down his schedule for you, but I can certainly tell you that he hasn't experienced anything close to this magnitude.
3: No, he hasn't. And that is always a psychological um, thing that happens during these these fight weeks because, you know, man, we've seen the escalation of Conor McGregor, but I mean, nobody in the UFC has gone through that Mayweather ordeal. Nobody has gone through that kind of pageantry, that kind of stage. Well, he's done that now. He's back. I, this probably feels like a little bit of a homecoming to him, um, but, the, but the scrutiny is bigger. There's so many more eyes on it. He's going to know, Conor McGregor is going to know exactly what to do through his whole this whole process. You always wonder psychologically how the other side of that, because this is something new. This beca- it feels like there's a magnitude. It feels like there's pressure. There's pressure on all of us. There's pressure for me to write well during this thing and to explain it. There's sure. pressure on you know everybody to talk about it the right way. Um, there's pressure on everybody. But being the, the you know the, the main principal, the guy who's the con- uh, well he's the champion, but he feels like the contender going in. Psychological interplay there too. Um, it's going to be big, but I think that he's one of those guys. He, he's got a. Um, he's very, very faith, a faithful man. Obviously he's, um, faith driven. He, uh, he's very principled in his beliefs and I think he's pretty grounded and I ultimately, I think he may struggle a little bit through it. Um, but I think once you get to Saturday and he's made weight and everything's going on, that, uh, he'll, he'll restore himself and he'll be right back to where he wants to be. I, I believe that he's, uh, he's got the mental fortitude to to deal with this whole thing, the whole circus.
0: I think so. Too. Yeah. And I'm excited to see him walk and sort of embrace everything that comes with this opportunity. It's funny when you talk about the pressure on everybody in the, the MMA world because I hadn't necessarily thought about it that way. But I will tell yeah. you, this is the furthest out that I've ever thought about my pay-per-view open, right? I might even have to ask Zach Candido for a teleprompter this time around, uh, uh-huh. in which we don't have, because you really want to nail it, right? And I don't mean so much in terms of not flubbing the delivery, right? But yeah. just making sure we say the right thing and contextualize this fight in the right way and the combatants in the right way, because fights like this just don't come around every day.
3: Oh man, and you 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 followed like you you're a boxing guy. You followed you the the, the way they chronicled the old days. Um, you went back and looked at that the magnitude of some of the films, and you know what I mean. Like you you hear the call. I mean, all of it, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it because the sport yeah. is arranged to have things like this happen. It's supposed to have once in a while two momentums colliding um, at the absolute prime of their careers and coming together where you really have no clue as to what's going to happen uh, once they latch that, once they latch the cage door. So I think it's, um, you know, it's tough. I wouldn't want to be in your position. It's funny, like you were talking about not knowing, not wanting to write against guys like me. I would not want, I I, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes, man, because that's um, that's kind of the thing that goes down on the historic record where everybody will reference it, not to put any undue pressure on you, but it's <laughs> yeah. everybody's going to remember the call, you know what I mean? Um, that, that's the way it seems to me anyway.
0: Well, yeah, we'll see what we can do, and and you know, for us, we always say the anxiety is in the preparation, and I because I don't really rehearse or think about what I'm gonna say so much. The call sort of just is organic, and there are three of us, and, and you know, hopefully it goes well. But yeah, it is interesting to think about all the different angles. So the one thing for me as an MMA fan that is hard about a fight like this and a fight like Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic a few weeks ago is that. This is a Super Bowl for me. Right. So I'm anxious just as a sports fan. And yet I'm the guy that has to sort of articulate these moments. So for you, when they bring the fighters together, the final stare down, are you just sitting there? I mean, you're not doing any live play by play. You're just collecting your thoughts and sort of best seat in the house guy observing this like pretty, pretty lucky guy. Correct.
3: You know, back at ESPN, I'd always have to write something very quickly. That was tough because you had to yeah. process and kind of centralize everything and, and try to do something that would make sense, big picture to the to what just happened. Almost impossible to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I remember Mark Cram uh who wrote about Ollie and the uh the thrill in Manila and he visited the guys and he had to turn around his piece very quickly, but he had just enough time to marinate on what he'd seen, and he had just enough time to put the pieces together, and it became one of the greatest pieces of um combat, you know, literature I've ever read. So I try to always remember that. Try just to marinate on what you saw, don't over like overthink it yet, and then just let, you know, try to absorb everything. Um, that's going on, including the perception of what happened. Um, because it's always fun to kind of see what people are thinking happened, <laughs> and then um, and right, then basically right. get up and uh, and and put all that to paper and basically see what you get. I try not to put just like you do. It's like you do your preparation beforehand. You know everything context in the in the context that led in. Um, you try to put that in the context of how it plays out, and then um, subconsciously, almost you just sleep on it, wake up, and write a piece, and hopefully it comes out yeah. okay. Right.
0: Well, it's good that you're not working on a hard deadline. I mean, I'll never forget trying to bang out a lead for like a high school girls volleyball game. And I'm sitting there for 30 minutes and it's like, bro, you need to bang this out. I mean, this is one singular regular season volleyball game uh, involving people who are not yet 18. And I would just perseverate over it and couldn't get through it. So, yeah, we look forward to seeing what you crank out as usual. Now, do any of these outlets that you work for? And I know you've done some podcasting for The Ringer as well. Do, do any of these folks require you to make a prediction on this fight or not?
3: Um, not really. That's kind of funny that you mentioned that. The way they do it in May fighting, I think we have one person who does predictions. I don't know why we yeah. do it this way. The way It's always been. Um, so I don't really go on the record there. And we haven't traditionally, although I will be covering this this event coming up for The Ringer. So there may be... Um, you know you know bill your, your guy he may uh, they may want something they may want me to go on record and um, and say something about it um, we'll have to see but I tell you right now though right now thinking about it I'm not sure which way I go i feel like you got to kind of see how things play out during fight week um, and I always get a feel i feel you know as you're as you're in the room with these guys and you Um, can try to pick up a little bit of the, the energy exchange and, uh, you know, the demeanor and everything. I like to do that before I make a prediction anyway. So, um, I couldn't even give you an, I couldn't even give you a gut feeling right this second though.
0: Right. No. And, and I think we all sort of think about where we might lean. But when your feet are to the fire, which way do you go? And it's hard also to make a prediction, as you mentioned, this far out. Right. A lot of folks like yeah. the benefit of seeing what happens on weigh in day and the betting line is held pretty steady. Khabib Nurmagomedov about minus 170. Conor McGregor uh, plus 140 or so.
3: All right. A couple expect, more things you before expect that swing to McGregor, though.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I've been telling people on this podcast for weeks, if you want to bet on Conor McGregor, now is the time to do it. And yet the number plus 140 has been sitting out there for two weeks. So Chuck, obviously I do not, I do not have much of a, an impact on the betting line. Sadly, <laughs> no, All right, a couple more things, and one of them is a sad note. Late last week, word coming down that that Black Zillions founder Glenn Robinson had passed away uh, after an apparent heart attack. Now, you reported extensively on the dissolution of the Black Zillions uh, and the fallout between Glenn, of course, the team's architect, and Henry Hooft and all of that. So um, I'd imagine just having recently dived into that, that this news kind of hit you in a particular way and really sad to lose Glenn Robinson a few days ago.
3: Yeah, that was um that was sad news and it's um it was weird because you immediately start to uh go back and remember your conversation because I had a I had a very long conversation maybe a couple hours and I was I was sifting through yeah. um for for the you know for the stuff that was essential to the piece but he's a very he was a very nice man a very um You know, very kind soul, and I think that he had a real appreciation for MMA, and I think that that's really why he got into it. And you like to have those figures in there that basically enable other people to do their dream. And I felt like he was one of those guys who um, provided a you know a livelihood and possibly a lot more to a lot of the guys who found him and and found their way to the Black Zillions. That I used to call that gym uh, when it first started rolling. It was almost like an orphanage or something like that because it was guys who you know had uh, deflected from. Or affected from one gym or another, and ended up with Glenn Robinson, and um, you know, in in Florida, and it it was funny how they they were really a tight knit group, and uh, I felt like everybody at that time when they were running that they're at their strongest. That um, he was a true benefactor. I thought he was a it was a, a big boon for the sport and um, launched so many careers. So very sad news, man. I know it didn't end quite the way um, you know I, in terms of the way things went with the Black Zillions down the down the stretch of time, but ultimately i think he still had a lot of people who um were good friends with him and uh and you you hear it kind of in the outpouring from the uh from the uh from the people now um what he meant to their lives so he's th- he certainly he was always good to me he always answered you know yeah. I tried, whenever i tried to get in touch with him he always was there um he'd always give me little insights into what was going on so um i'll miss him man he was one of the he was one of the good guys in the game i think
0: i think so too and i think he kind of felt perpetually misunderstood by the masses and Maybe that that perception became the reality of the way people perceived him. But yeah, he was a good egg, and, and it's been nice to see so, so, certainly some of his former fighters come out and say some nice things uh, in the Absolutely. wake of his passing. All right, Chuck Mindenhall on Twitter. You can find him at Chuck Mindenhall. How easy is that? No underscore anything like that. You can see his work on the ringer, MMAfighting.com. And as you heard there in the tease from Chuck, maybe some more enhanced coverage uh, at the ringer.com leading up to October 6th and the mega fight between Habib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor. My man, my first choice. To lead the show today. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it sincerely.
3: Always an honor, John. Thanks, brother.
0: There he is, my former colleague, the great Chuck Mendenhall, and we will get to Kid Yamamoto, and and of course we just referenced Glenn Robinson there. I remember in 2015, after the Black Zillions beat American Top Team on the Ultimate Fighter, Kamaru Usman winning that final fight, I believe over Hyder Hassan interviewing Glenn inside the octagon and this was really the crowning achievement for this man he had a lot of business success I believe he founded a a tool company that ultimately resulted in some wealth that he parlayed into doing this mixed martial arts thing but Glenn really started this thing this MMA team the Black Zillions by accident right that there were some defections from American top team and he was bringing guys together and eventually had big names like Eddie Alvarez and Rashad Evans, Vitor Belfort was one of the first guys to sort of represent the Black Zillions. Of course, Anthony Rumble Johnson, and he was a unifying force for these guys for a while. Then there was obviously a fallout that we're not going to dig too deep into, but really sad news, and, and Glenn was just so happy for Kamaru at that time, and was just so happy to have sort of gotten over that ATT hump, even though at times things didn't go well for them during that season. Uh, That was huge for Glenn Robinson. And uh, his daughter, Sam, I know has been out there on social media and we're thinking about her and and the rest of the family as uh, as they mourn the loss of of the great Glenn Robinson. Um, All right, a lot more to get to today. Let us bring on the great Ray Longo.
1: Now, time for the
2: Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo
1: Minute, starring Ray Longo, the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast.
0: You know, I never want to start with you on a somber note, but as we do get older, I think one of the harsher realities is that a lot of people our age tend to pass away for one reason or another, and I know I've experienced it a lot in my personal life and for MMA in the past week, Ray. Uh, Glenn Robinson, who we were just talking about, and of course, Kid Yamamoto, uh, the Japanese mixed martial arts legend. I don't know if you had any dealings with Glenn or or with Kid in the past, but, uh, you know, felt like a couple of body blows over the last week since we were last on the air.
2: Yeah, no, that death, death. death is never never a good thing. And uh I don't know about your age. I think my age people are dropping. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh I tell that's you, I mean, kind of first off, you know, that's uh let's not get carried away, John. You're still in the uh, prime of your life. <laughs> uh you know, I'm in Thank the seventh I'm in the seventh inning. It's not looking good. But uh, <laughs> I tell you Kid Yamamoto, man, I mean just too young to go. That's the first thing. That was That one actually hit harder because I just, when, when, when people are young, that really bothers me, you know, when, you know, I'm going through with my mom now, but she's had a really good full life and she's at peace with everything, man. She's really made me see how, you know, there's some grace in dying. She's just ready to, you know, to check out and she's. You know, still having a great time. Her mind is good. Her body's bad. I don't don't want to make it about my mother, but I'm saying I I try to talk to her every day. I go over and see her and she's really, I mean, it's just, it is what it is, man. It's a, it's definitely a different look uh, for me to see that. But uh, you know, I didn't know Glenn Robinson and, uh, but again, he wasn't that old either. And that kind of stinks, man. It's just, you know, because you do leave behind, you know, kids that are younger and Sometimes don't have the, or, you know, they're not have the maturity to deal with it. And I just hope it doesn't affect everybody and they recognize it is a part of life and just to uh, move on and live in their honor and do the right thing.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I'm glad you sort of brought your mother up because that's very relatable to this audience that swears by you, although I know you've come under attack recently for uh, for some of your comments. I love how you're just not afraid to let it rip, man, you know, uh, and stay true to who you are. You miss one of the most epic NFL Sundays of all time, but I digress. Uh, in terms of Khabib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor, and we're going to spend probably the entire Ray Longo Minute next week on this fight and get your final prediction, um, but do you feel like people are talking about this fight that when you're going out and pumping gas, people are asking you about this fight. To what extent has this fight resonated with sort of the casual American masses leading up to October 6th, at least from your standpoint?
2: Uh, I mean, from my standpoint, the answer is no. I mean, it's not. I mean, when uh, McGregor fought Mayweather, there was way more you know what do you think's going to happen from the casual fan? I mean I think anybody oh, okay. who's into MMA is definitely buying this fight. Uh I don't know. I'm I'm not feeling it, but I I'm, I this I you know I could be perfectly wrong. I'm sure the fight's going to do big numbers, but I'm not hearing it like I've heard other fights. Definitely yeah. not, but did, you know, I mean I was I had a crazy couple of weeks, so I haven't really been around too much either.
0: Sure. No, I think that's fair. Did did you watch any of that press conference?
2: I saw about three-quarters of it, man. I thought it was just fucking bonkers, you know. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, I, look, the guy, there was a stroke of genius in there because I got to tell you, I like Khabib. I think the guy's yeah, a stand-up right. dude. I think he shoots from the hip. Guys, type of guys that I really like. Always enjoy seeing him. I'm not saying I know him well, but always – nice to say hello to, and I feel his sincerity there, and he's a good dude. And, man, did McGregor. I think Conor knew that he couldn't get under this guy's skin for the fight. So, what does he do? He takes a good guy, and he attacks viciously the people he's surrounded by. Like, I mean, he came in prepared. I mean, the biggest loser in this thing is that poor Ali. I don't even want to say poor, but I know Ali. I, I, I found out things about him I didn't even know, and I know the guy. So, Right. I think he comes out, I mean, he got slaughtered in this thing because, you know, I don't think anybody likes a snitch, you know, and he, this guy put everything right. out there and then the thing with his son, I didn't even know he, I didn't even know, he, you know, anything, you know, so yeah. he attacks the credibility of the people he's around, which could create some doubt as to, you know, guilt by association type of shit that I don't buy right. into, but. Man, did he come prepared with some shit with even all the the oligarchs and all of the other crap and crazy, crazy that he did his homework. So he's not stupid. You know what I mean? Whether it was a good tactic or a bad tactic. I don't he's not going to get sued for libel. You know what I mean? He's not going to get sued for uh, defamation of character or whatever, you know, whatever would be the legal uh, recourse on that. I guarantee you. So crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, I don't know what effect they'll have on the fight, but man, it was it was bonkers, John.
0: Oh, he's good, man. You know he he, the, he parlays that preparation into performance too, right? I mean, he has all his cards there, and the way he uses them and seamlessly works everything in. Uh, He is one of a kind, man, and we're certainly lucky to have him. But that gives me a little indicator, the fact that you sat down and watched 45 minutes of a press conference. You know, Ray Longo's got a lot of irons in the fire. you got a lot of things going on. The fact that you sat down and gave that a half an hour of your time tells me a little something leading up to October 6. All right, I have an opportunity. Hold on, but I don't
2: don't want to rain on that comment, John, but I was driving to Atlantic City for a fight, so I was in the car. So that's okay. what I listened right. to. Would I have listened to it otherwise? Probably. But I mean, it was just like, let's get something to do. It's a three hour ride. So, you know, whatever. All but right. you're right, though. Anyway, All I do right. got I got skin in the game either way, because Al Fort Khabib. And, you know, I think this is an interesting fight. Let's see. You know, he he brought up Alan. He beat a real estate agent, you know, which I thought right. Was, right. was hysterical. You know what I mean? But. Uh, now he 's got to back it up. you know he made the comments let 's see if he could do better than al i see I say unequivocally no,
0: yeah, well, I think we know which way you're going next week, but yeah, I would imagine there's heightened interest for you in this fight because of what Al was able to accomplish in those twenty five minutes against Khabib most recently in april so all right we'll get a prediction from you next week also an opportunity for you to win five hundred dollars you got to give me your answer next week okay five hundred dollars wow. see i don't know how long the santa kim florian podcast is going to be around so okay. we're raising the stakes okay five big if ones. you can correctly if you can correctly predict ally Aquinta's next opponent by the end of next week's show five hundred bucks I,
2: mean, okay? I already have I already have the answer to that, but I'll I'll, let, I'll see but if I can say it next week. But, uh, all right. So, so okay. Week. So, you,
0: okay. Wow. All right. Cause <laughs> the reason I bring it up well, is because you said on the show last week that Al, after watching Al Joe and some others, was itching to get back in there. And that is very encouraging news on Ally Quinta uh, that at least maybe a verbal agreement might even be in place.
2: Well, this, this is like a poker game. You're buying that I have a, a, a straight flush or I have a good hand. You know, you know, uh, yeah. Oh, I could be bluffing right now. Right. Am I bluffing all right. well, uh, am I not bluffing?
0: <laughs> Let's see if you can get clearance by next Monday. Exactly. And then an opportunity to win another 500 if oh, you can get Habib Connor correctly. So uh, to, big I opportunities. To,
2: I, might, I might have to cut the in on the profits. I think yeah, that's yeah the right. Clearance. I, think,
0: I think he could do better selling houses. All right, my man, thank you for the time. Uh, we will talk to you ex- extendedly next Monday about the big one, man. Thank you.
2: Very good. All right, John. Take it easy, buddy.
0: There he is, the great Ray Longo with us every week here on the Anik and Florian podcast. Speaking of which, support for the Anik and Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. So either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. So to get started, go to RocketMortgage.com slash Anik, com slash A-N-I-K. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states and org number 3030. All right, back out to the guest line now and joining us is a dear friend of mine. We're happy to have him, pretty fine analyst I might add as well, just off the boat back from Brazil as he continues his globe trotting in his first year as a UFC commentator. The great Jimmy Smith now joins me live from the great state of California. We got video! My man, welcome on. It's
4: good to see you. (laughs) How you doing, my man? The great state, man. It's a great introduction, I gotta say. I I thought I was fine, but to hear you say it, man, is awesome.
0: Yeah, fine. Probably not a strong enough adjective. <laughs> nice work, man. So you hit that. You, did you just get back this morning or last night? How'd the travel Mid,
4: uh, One in the morning. One this morning I got back. So, yeah, two seven-hour flights. So, yeah, man. Uh, today's going to be a lot of resting.
0: All right. Well, I appreciate you burning it at all ends and waking up early for us. As you know, I, I've been to Brazil for – More than 20 live UFC events. I know you're starting to dip your toes in the water. I know you've been there in the past, obviously, in your mixed martial arts training and where your life has taken you, but overall assessment of Sao Paulo and how things went for you over the weekend.
4: It was awesome, man. It was great. Fans were into it. Everybody was really excited. People on the street were really jazzed about it. Um, And the Brazilians did well. I mean, the the, the local guys did well, and the, the crowd had a lot to cheer about. Of course, you know, Little Nog... Got an incredible ovation. Talos Leite going out the way he did on a win over Hector Lombard. So it was a lot of the emotional stuff that uh, the fans were into. That's what they came to see, man, and, and it worked out great. It was fantastic.
0: So a lot of different things I want to get to with you. And I think sometimes in these UFC main events, the storyline sometimes becomes the guy who didn't win, and there are a lot of angles to attack Eric Anders accepting this fight and the ramifications of that, but... Can we talk about Thiago Santos for a second and the body of work that he's put together over the last two years? He's won six of seven, go to guy for the UFC, you know, made weight another time that we're not even talking about as a backup opponent. I just think the world of this guy, and Eric Anders is a tough out, and I thought Maheta in a showcase performance for him really put it to
4: him. And he really did. And, and it, it's not just what he's done in terms of opponents and the runs and how busy he's been over the last couple of years. Man, he has exciting fights. He's, the guy's just not capable of having a fight that isn't exciting, great at medium range. Right. He switches dances a lot. He throws a lot of power shots. So it's everything both a, a, a seasoned fan of the UFC and, and a newcomer wants to see is that, you know, this monster slinging bombs and trying to take guys out. I mean, everybody loves it. Everybody understands it. And I think what they did a great job with for the uh, Sao Paulo show was focusing on his community work, stuff like that, working with kids. I mean, he's he's a he's an easy guy to like. He's an easy guy to get right. behind. So all the way around, he's fantastic.
0: Yeah, don't let the Maheta tattoo fool you. There's really a nice guy in there, you know. <laughs>
4: yeah. No, so he's, in he's, terms he's, of Eric
0: Anders. And I know some people are maybe sick of us talking about the college football accolades and the 2009 national championship with Alabama. Um, But this guy's a fighter's fighter, and he may not realize a UFC championship, but I would imagine you, as a former MMA fighter yourself, have a lot of respect for everything that the last 8 to 10 days held for Eric Anders.
4: 100%. I mean, he came in a fight. He didn't have to take. He didn't need it. And it's at a different weight class, 205, going into hostile territory. And last minute, and he, and he went out there and did it. Um, the biggest myth or the biggest lie, however you want to put it, in, in, in mixed martial arts is, well, I'm always in shape. You're not always in fight shape. There's a big difference. It's just like the NFL, right. just like the NBA. They're designed to peak your workout a certain time for a certain day for a certain guy. And he didn't have that camp. And I think in this fight, it showed a little bit. Because at the you know he was just out of gas at the end, exhausted, and I guess a guy uh, like Santos, who's going to make you work so hard, he's not going to give you any breaks, he's not going to let you implement his game. He got a couple takedowns, couldn't hold him down. Um, it's a guy you need a lot of gas to take on, and I, I think in the end he really didn't have it. But um, you know, as we said, uh, Santos is a tough out for anybody, and Anders did the best he could under the circumstances, and he he was very candid about. It. This being a stop to a fight. This isn't my natural weight class. I don't plan to stay here. I don't plan to put my flag here. So he went into a difficult situation with a nothing-to-lose attitude, I thought, put on a great fight, and down at 185, I think that's where he really belongs, and, and he, can be, he can do a lot of damage at 185.
0: You have... FC commentator Jimmy Smith with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. You mentioned sort of a nothing-to-lose attitude, and I think that is the rub for a lot of people when it comes to Eric Anders. Did he actually have nothing to lose? You know, when he took that fight with Lyoto Machida in Belang, an exciting opportunity for him, but some suggested at 11-0 or so at the time that maybe he was biting off more than he could chew. Some managers would have paused throwing a guy into Sao Paulo up a division against Tiago Santos in terms of career trajectory. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, you know, to throw his manager, Jason House, under the bus because he has a fighter. I know you don't give a shit about that, but he has a fighter in Eric Anders who trains, you know, to be ready 45 weeks a year and is going to put himself out there for the next one of these. So as manager, I mean, do you have an obligation to try to get a guy on a championship trajectory or to just take each guy on a case-by-case basis?
4: Here's one of the things in in, in my personal uh, my personal fight trajectory you know for for any fighter i think it's important to get if not a loss that really challenging fight in your first 10 or 15 fights i don't think you want to go 50, people who, who have gotten over like 10 and 0 15 and 0 in the big show they talk about the pressure of being undefeated and, and, and not knowing how to deal with a loss and the ability to come back you have to kind of let your guy know you're going to have tough opportunities. You have to roll the dice. It might not work out your way. You get back on the horse. You get back in the gym. You get there and win. It's not, you know, it's not the end of the world losing a tough fight to Lyoto Machida by decision in Brazil. It's the kind of thing you 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 just move past. And you're if your guy can't move past that, he doesn't deserve to be in, in the championship conversation. He doesn't deserve to be amongst the elite. If you can't come back from a loss and learn from it, you're in the wrong sport. So there are other times and talk about management and getting your guy ready in an era of in the UFC that, that's become kind of a super fight era where you wait for that one big opportunity to make ten million bucks, the fighters that that want to stay busy and wanna keep fighting and want to keep learning, I think, are are becoming um appreciated by the fans. He's not waiting around for that one opportunity to fight that one guy that might get me in line for a title shot. He's fighting anybody in front of him. And I think fans yeah. appreciate that kind of mentality in today's day and era. Day and age. You know? No, I
0: think it's beautifully put and I think the promoter appreciates it as well. And Jessica Andrade, Israel Adesanya, some other names I would inject into that mix of fighters that always stay ready. And, you know, Adesanya could have avoided a guy like Derek Brunson. He won't take on all comers, you know. Let me go through the top ten and and try to get there on my own. All right, a few other things on Brazil. I don't want to spend too much time on Sao Paulo, but... Hennen Barrau, it's crazy how the narrative has changed for this guy. And we, we could talk about a lot of fighters. You know, Jake Ellenberger most recently, right? At one point, 29 and 6, retires 31 and 15, right? Rashad Evans, the whole narrative on a career can change with how you go out. Um, Hennen Barrau, at one point, 32 and 1, now 34 and 7, missed weight famously this weekend on the wrong end of a split decision here against Andre Yule. You were there on the ground in Sao Paulo. Um, Rough fight week for uh, for the Baron.
4: Yeah, I mean, there are two signs when, and I, I hate to say this, but I have to. When a fighter is done, there are generally two signs. Number one is they don't have a chin anymore; they can't take the shot. They take punches that would not have even stopped them, you know, wouldn't have even given pause in the beginning of their career, and they get rocked and hurt by those punches. The second one, which is a little more subtle and, in many ways, a little more dangerous. They can't pull the trigger. And I saw a guy in Hannon Burrell who couldn't pull the trigger, who had him put in front of him, hands down, obviously working the outside, a fast athletic guy. But this is a guy who in his prime never hesitated. He was like a, a tiger shark, man. He saw vulnerability and he just went right after you. And that inability to kind of get his offense going, um, that's a sign of a fighter who just who, whose confidence isn't there, whose timing isn't there. Um you know, probably the most famous instance is Pacquiao De La Hoya and De La Hoy didn't throw any punches. Was, he was just you yeah. know, he was just standing there and, and that looked like hand and kinda kinda of, kind of deer in the headlights. The success he had was on top with his jujitsu, which you know, he's always gonna be be good at that. But when it came to the stand up, that guy who just ripped the head off heads off opponents in his prime was not there. Um right. And 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 that was that was the disappointing part is that, you know people talk about the Evan Dunham fight and dude the dude went out on a shield you know took a, took a knee to the ribs and that was it Hennebrough got caught looking he he struck out not swinging and and right. that's a tough thing to watch from a guy who's as good as Hennebrough
0: right and that's bizarro Barrow I mean that just flies yeah. in the face of everything that he was in his prime all right last thing uh, because you are a Carlson Gracie I believe fourth degree Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt is that accurate did I get that right.
4: I'm sorry. Say it one more time.
0: I hope I got that right. Carlson Gracie, fourth degree Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Is that accurate?
4: What, me? <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> just a black belt. So man. be. Okay. All right. I didn't you know how degrees many degrees. All yeah. right. So the the Carlson Gracie Brazilian Carlson Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt, Jimmy Smith, just witnessed. Charles Oliveira record his 11th submission in the UFC. And we have watched this guy grow up, made his UFC debut. I think he was 20 years old. I don't know if I'm asking you to put into context what he has done, but when you talk about the all-time great submission guys in the UFC, um, this is a guy who's going to be firmly in that convo.
4: Has to be there. Has to be there 100%. And, and what I what I love about this performance is, is you know, I said that on air is that, He's so talented and so good, but he's had trouble stringing together uh, performances in a row. He'll look fantastic in one, and then and then have a setback in another. And uh, the, the the amazing thing about that fight was he was so consistent. There, there were problems with him, you know. I thought Iago's fought a great fight on the feet, nice sharp combinations. Uh, Oliver never panicked he never went for any takedowns that weren't there he never made any mistakes trying to get into the ground he never threw any big punches to kind of let you land that knockout shot he stayed composed long enough to get the job done and I think that's even more impressive than the finish I mean it's funny. I was talking to his uh his coaches are Kenny Johnson and Jiva Santana two one great wrestler one great jujitsu guy and uh yeah. I was talking to them in the cage as we're standing there and Kenny goes man Olivera takes her back, it's done. I'm like, yeah, nobody gets out of that. So the finish was yeah. great, but it was more the fact that he stayed so composed, waiting for that takedown, didn't make the kind of mistakes we've seen him make and you've seen him make in other fights where he seems to have it, you know, he seems to have it done. I mean, I thought he had, I love Paul Felder. I thought he had Paul Felder three or four times. Right. Paul Felder right. came back and beat him. He didn't make those kind of mental mistakes. So when you take his talent and add a little bit more consistency and, and, and octagon IQ, that dude's hard to beat for anybody. Yeah.
0: Well, it was fun to watch you, uh, from here in South Florida. You did a great job on that show. I know you did it somewhat with a heavy heart. I saw your Instagram post, uh, after the passing of kid Yamamoto. And I know that the MMA historian and you took this one pretty hard, man. You know, I remember staying up late, obviously to watch this guy in his prime when I was just getting into mixed martial arts. And, uh, This is a guy that really made an impact on a lot of people. There are a lot of highlights that you can reference, but just a guy who was must-see television really every step of the way in his fighting prime and and a huge loss for the MMA world.
4: It almost feels like the hard part about this is, is, you know, the people who didn't appreciate the sport maybe five, six, ten years ago He's almost the end of an era in a sense. Like he was so much a part of Japanese MMA and, and so much a, a pioneer in a weight class. It's all you know. I don't want to say taken for granted, but it is almost like, oh yeah, 145, 55. There was a time when that weight class didn't exist in the United States and it was overlooked in the United States, in my opinion. And Kid Yamamoto was kind of the flag bearer of that division uh, when Japanese MMA was, was was really outstanding and really fun to watch. And the the death of Kid Yamamoto, as hard as his personal. And what a great guy he was, and father and everything. It's also almost like a the end of an era, in, in, where the Japanese ran that weight class, and you had to go to Japan to yeah. really fight the best in a lot of weight classes. And he was was a, a symbol of that. And and to lose that really really sucks as as an old school fan personally.
0: And it seemed like maybe he was diagnosed with cancer in 2016, but then sort of announced it to the world in in August, and then uh, you know his demise came shortly thereafter. But I thought you tributed him nicely, man, as only you could do. And uh... <laughs> You know, hopefully uh, – well, I don't just to say hopefully. His is certainly a legacy that will live on. All right, I'll let you go on this. Pittsburgh Steelers Monday Night Football. It's September 24th, uh, and the, the AFC uh, – well, I don't want to say the favorites, but one of the AFC favorites going in has yet to get a win. Um, I think you and I need to bet on this tonight. Uh, it's a pick em game, essentially, Tampa Bay and yes. Pittsburgh. Um, would you like to put something on the line here, my friend?
4: All right, well, okay. Let's um, – I'm probably going <laughs> – out, you're, are you in Vegas? You're in Vegas for, obviously, for the big fight. You're staying out there until Sunday, yeah? Yep. Are you staying out until till Sunday? Yes. All right. How about, how about meal of your choice on Sunday in Vegas, buddy? What do you say? Let's
0: do it. Let's do it. Go Buccaneers! Right. And if you don't know, Jimmy Smith has a dog named Steeler. So even though this My is a lifelong cow... Cal- yeah, he's a lifelong Californian, but he's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and we love him for Lakers, it. Man. Hey,
2: Lakers, right
0: here, right here. yeah, Lake Show, they, right there. That's that's a good <laughs> shirt for you. Hey, uh, I sorry we didn't have time to get too deep into Khabib and Connor. We'll talk to you on the other side of that fight. Sincerely appreciate your time, my man. Great stuff in Sao Paulo, and uh, I will see you October sixth, if not sooner, my friend.
4: Can't wait to see you there, buddy.
0: All right. There he is. UFC commentator Jimmy Smith with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast and really wanted to actually get his expectations for Tony Ferguson's return as well, because I think one guy that is going to be shortchanged leading up to October 6th is El Kukui, uh, who returns against Anthony Showtime Pettis in the co-main event against UFC 229. But that is just a huge fight. And and it's shaping up as. One of the biggest nights, if not the biggest night, in UFC history. And I, I'm excited to be in the building. You know, it's it's fights like this that that really uh, get the blood boiling. So we will see how it goes for Conor McGregor, for Khabib Nurmagomedov. All of that can flow back next week. Uh, and we'll get a prediction from him as well. Uh, back out to the guest line now. It is time to take a stand.
2: It's now time to take a stand with the All-American Brian Stan the Anakin and Florian podcast.
0: And joining us on what is his 38th birthday, the greatest living American, Brian Stan. Happy birthday, my man. You don't strike me as a guy who loves birthdays, but we wish you a very happy 38th.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, I'll be, uh, you know, I don't remember the last time I celebrated one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I should actually start maybe for two years, celebrate them before I hit the big four zero and And then I officially become old, I guess.
0: It's true because I just turned 40 and I I hate birthdays to begin with. Right. And 40 was a tough one, man. Like there was nothing easy about it. You really feel old. And I appreciate you not mincing your words there and telling me how old I am. You also don't strike me as a guy who would respond too well to a surprise party. Like if all of a sudden uh, (laughs) there was a surprise party tonight. So hopefully nobody has one in the works for you.
1: Yeah, well, I could tell you there's there's no way it hasn't been the works for me. I'm going home house. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, that, that won't be part the of the
0: impetus, part of the impetus for getting you on today was to talk about Khabib and Conor. It's also, of course, your birthday. But it has been over a year, just over a year since you called your last UFC fight. So, I just want to start there. I'm sure at times you're too busy to miss it, but at other times, maybe when you're sitting around watching a fight, you sort of wish you were, you know, still in the game.
1: Oh, absolutely you know I mean it's um yeah there there's been conversations here or there, could I fit it in? could I do this Could I do that It's really tough, you know, my current role um i I am extremely busy, but man, you can't help but miss a job like that i I mean there is no there's no doubt I think everybody around me everybody who heard me call fights knew it that I absolutely loved it, you know at the end of the day it was it was pulling me away from my family, I was traveling a little too much, and uh you know it it didn't the switch to a new job really didn't matter in that regard but looking back on it now you never want to close the door completely you know i'm only 38 you you never know what could happen and maybe four or five years from now i'd like to go back to doing some television i i definitely miss it love doing the job And, and really of course you know, miss working with you you and i had you know an awesome chemistry we had a lot of fun exploring these different countries we went to we made a lot of close friends with these fighters and coaches and so It was was a great environment, man. I I had a good time. It was like family. When I left that role, it was like leaving a piece of family, man. That was tough.
0: Yeah. No, it is. And I know you called one by one a lot of members of the staff, and I know they appreciated that. And a show doesn't go by where someone isn't asking me about you, so there's no denying the impact that you made. How close are you to the sport in terms of following the day-to-day headlines? Like when this whole Jackson Wink MMA thing starts to bubble and Donald Cerrone and Diego Sanchez are getting into it and, and the Mike Winklejohn backdrop, I mean, I'd imagine a headline like that at least still crosses the COO's desk.
1: I would tell you that I, I tend to, on, on a lunch breaker at night, I will look at the, the major websites every day. I mean, you yeah. can't help, like, that's still a big part of me, right? I mean, I'm, I'm forever going to be a martial artist. And I'm a huge Eagles fan, but I'm, I'm a huge mixed martial arts fan. And so when I have the time and I'm trying to consume that and watch those fights, so it definitely hit me. Um, I think that that was a situation that was brewing for a long time. You know, the, the, minute, the minute the BMF Ranch opened up and even even before then, when, when Cowboy and Leonard Garcia started making money and opening up their home to other fighters, they, it was a great business idea. They, they bought a, Cowboy bought a bus and he would bus in all these fighters who paid a certain amount of money to stay at his place every month. And he would give Greg Jackson a piece of it. I mean, it was a great value proposition for him. He made a ton of money doing it. And that really led to what was the creation of the BMF ranch. And there was going to be some divide there. And I see both sides of it. One thing I would tell you is that coaching fighters is really tough to be profitable. Because when they lose, it's always somebody else's fault. They leave the gym. Um, They don't pay very well or they don't pay on time. You've know, you got to hassle them to pay the money that they owe you for the percentage of their purse. So it was really tricky. And I would say that Greg Jackson uh, is a sweet person. He's a very good coach. He's a great guy. And one of the things he's not good at is telling fighters, like, hey, you owe me money. It was never important to him. So, you know, when it came to actually running a profitable gym, that wasn't his strength. His strength was coaching fighters. So Wink watched that and said, look, I'm gonna, we're going to move it to my building. I've got bills to pay. So I, I kind of understand both sides. It just crushes me that they can't sit down and come to an agreement. Because regardless, whether Cowboys, you know, help that gym be profitable or, or not on a balance sheet or an income statement, he damn sure has helped build some of the fighters that have been there that, that have. Right, whether he's right. training with them, he's teaching them. Certainly helped me while I was training. So it's it's hard to see a guy who I consider like a brother, and then my coach, you know, Greg and, and Wink was really you know my, my main guy. I, I hate seeing that divorce there because, and I want to take both sides. I wish I could get them on the table and get them to come to an right. agreement because they have both contributed so much to that team. Um, and it does sting to see you know Cowboy not chosen over another athlete to coach, you know, when when he's getting ready to fight. That that's wild.
0: Right. And I, I, I'd imagine you would not be one of those lining up to see Cowboy Cerrone and Diego Sanchez settle this inside the octagon, right, at this stage Hell of their no. respective no, careers, no you know?
1: If, if, right. <laughs> and if, if I were still training there, this, this conversation would have happened around a roundtable like this before it ever hit the media, yeah. and we would have tried to solve it that way. Um, it's the same way that a, a Joey Villasenor or Keith Jardine, when they were leaving that gym, would have done it. But, uh, you know, it, it's tough. It, it's a tough, tough situation.
0: Brian, stand with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. One thing that is missed in the lead up to Habib and Connor is your analysis, so I want to get a little bit of it here. I think there are so many angles at which you can attack this thing, right? But among them, I mean, what are you most interested to see in what at least on paper looks to a lot of people like a classic striker versus grappler confrontation?
1: It it does, and I would say that it goes a little little beyond that in terms of, uh, you know, conditioning. The conditioning is going to be a big factor of this contest as well, and and not just you know everybody knows that in the first two rounds is when Connor's going to be the most dangerous to beat Khabib, and we saw Khabib very susceptible to straight left hands when he fought Michael Johnson. He ate a number of them. He doesn't move his head real well. How fast will Khabib want to close the distance and get in on Connor's legs? And if he chooses that route, how well will Connor maintain his energy? Because we know. If anything tires Conor out, uh, it's wrestling. And he comes in in great condition, but just because of the way he's built as an athlete, he's not a guy who's going to be conditioned to where he can wrestle for five straight rounds. He's just not going to be able to. He's got to keep right. his distance. He's got to land big left hands. He's got to hurt Khabib early, but he's got to be smart about how he expends his energy. And and he does have the power to knock Khabib out. We've seen Khabib get rocked. He's a human being. For, for Khabib, you know, for me, he needs to move his head, and he doesn't need to go in there and try and prove that he can strike with Connor. He needs to use his bread and butter. He needs to be able to get him down. What I'm watching for, when I've seen Khabib grapple, in my eyes, he is the best at controlling someone on the ground with one hand and being able to punch almost continuously with the other hand. That is so hard to do. When you're grappling with good guys at this level, at the championship level, you got to use two hands to control them, and Connor can grapple. People forget right. the kid can grapple. And he's good on the ground. He's a big, strong guy. Can Khabib control him with one arm and land sufficient shots with the other arm before a referee wants to stand him up? Because if I'm Conor and I want to manage my energy, if I do get taken down early, I want to tie Khabib up. I want to make it boring and force them to stand me back up rather than expend the energy myself to have to wall walk and work my way back up. I don't right. want to have to do that because it's gonna it will reduce. Reduce my punching power over time. Michael Bisping used to employ a great strategy where he would shoot takedowns on guys. Even if he didn't land them, he would force you to defend them, and he would steal your punching power. He did it to me. He did it to Vanderlei. He did it in a lot of his fights where he would make you wrestle, and he would use his pace as a weapon to slow you down in the later rounds and take away your punching power because, for him, he could punch the same power for all of those rounds. You know, Khabib has got to be smart, close the distance, Get this kid down and wear him out over the first two rounds, and then you know look to be dominant in the third, fourth, and fifth. For Conor, I want to see you know can can he land the big left? Can he move and avoid the takedown early? And then can he manage his energy efficiently so he doesn't fade in the later rounds? If he can't knock this kid out in the first two,
0: right? So if someone's giving you a thousand bucks to to bet on one side of this, Khabib's the favorite right now, about minus one seventy. Conor McGregor holding at plus one forty. Uh, do you have a lean here? Twelve days out. I do.
1: I, I'm I'm leaning versus Khabib, and, and you know, all forget all the things I said. This game is very much about mentality. And and I look I have not been around either fighter for some time, so I have no idea where they are, but I'm gonna make my best educated guess. When you've made north of a hundred million dollars, your your level of hunger, the, the level you're willing to go to um, to suffer to win a fight is different. Than a kid who's maybe got fifty grand in the bank from Dagestan, Khabib may have right. more money than right. that in the bank, but but that's a different yeah. level, man. This 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 kid comes from a place, it's different but similar to the place that Connor came from too. Connor came from a hard upbringing; it wasn't easy, right? He was trying to be a plumber and couldn't make it as such. Came from a blue collar family; and he was hungry. That's where Khabib is now, and and he's going to be more primal. I think he's going to be willing to go to a certain depth. Of exhaustion and pain to win this fight, and Connor is tough as they come as well. I don't know if he's willing to go that far now, having lived so comfortably for the last year. Hunger is a big is a big part of these big fights, and yeah. I, I give the advantage to Khabib there. And I think that he's able to to out wrestle Connor early, wear him down, and as Connor begins to fade a little bit, he doesn't fade much, but we saw it a little bit in the Nate Diaz fights. Khabib takes over there.
0: And it sounds like you don't at all worry about the big fight atmosphere for Khabib Nurmagomedov. If anything, it sounds like you think he might be buoyed by it, or I, I just think this is a different walk than he will have ever experienced prior.
1: And you make a phenomenal point. And, and the one thing, I said this to somebody this weekend. you know, I said, look, on paper and as I analyze the fight, I think that Khabib wins this fight, but I can never count out Conor when the lights shine brightest. The kid just shows up. He just shows up, but I can't forget that first Nate Diaz one. Yeah, I can't forget. You know, he is right. a human being. The kid is human, and and this is a a guy in Khabib Nurmagomedov that, in my eyes, some of the things that hurt him against Nate Diaz, Khabib is a little better at.
0: Right, very interesting stuff, Brian Stan. Great stuff. Continued success, my friend. Thanks for hopping on with us. Happy birthday! Anytime, oh, brother. Break some I miss bread you. with. Uh... I miss you, too, man. And, hey, if you ever want to call live sporting events, you know, we'll leave the light on for you, right? Motel 6, get back in the saddle.
1: Awesome.
0: My pleasure. All right, thank you, buddy. There he is, former UFC commentator, UFC veteran Brian Stan, with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. That's a good egg right there. Seems like some of the early Experts and ex-fighters that I'm talking to are leaning and Khabib Nurmagomedov, so we're going to see uh, how many expert picks we can get between now and fight night, but you know, Longo and Stan are both going that way. I think Kenny's going to come on here and pick Conor McGregor uh, one week from today. Uh, if he shows up for the podcast, just kidding, Flo, I love you, but real, realistically, I think Kenny's going to step on these airwaves a week from now, and, and he is going to pick Conor McGregor to win the fight. We'll see how it plays out. But we got to get out of here for this week, ladies. Thank you to our guests, Chuck Mindenhall, Ray Longo, Jimmy Smith, Brian Stan. Uh, thank you to Ben Wasorik, the crew behind the glass at Fox Sports. So next week, do you believe it, it will be fight week already. UFC 229, Khabib versus McGregor. So we'll preview the big one. And that podcast is coming your way Monday, October 1st. Until then, appreciate you all listening. We'll talk to you in less than a week. Don't text and drive. you later.
1: The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast.